0: So a little bit of a setup for the first five weeks, which I haven't shared yet, but we call these embracing spiritual practices. And so each session is called the practice of something. The practice of scripture, the practice of prayer, the practice of worship, giving, and serving. Tonight we're going to be looking at the practice of scripture, and we're looking at this sort of as a lasting, a, a, a type of discipleship that gets rooted into our daily lives, and that is necessary as followers of Jesus. Now, let me remind you: the word "practice" means the act of doing something again and again to improve proficiency. That's what practice is. So I think we're using the right word and we're using it for this class in the same way that I think Paul used it when he spoke to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter four and verse nine. And he said this, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, everybody catch that? The things that you have learned, received and heard, and you've seen them in me, practice these things do these things i want you to follow the way that you were, that you saw in me i was your example and the god of peace will be with you and so we're focusing on the practice of scripture and i want three things for you in this lesson number 1 i want to impart a conviction for daily bible reading which will familiarize you with the word of god amen that's the first thing the second thing is i want to inspire a desire within you within you to go deeper And study the Bible for yourself. You know what we call that? It's called self-feeding. That that would be the most important Bible hearing and reading that we do. Not hearing it from another person, but hearing it from the Lord as we study the scriptures. So I want that desire to go deep. Number three, I want to hopefully instruct you in a lifestyle practice that is simple, that's helpful, and that's transformational. I'm going to share with you what I do all right. So that's all I can give to you. I can give you what I do and you can take it or you cannot take it, but I'm praying that you take it. And so chances are some of you have a daily Bible reading plan, a daily Bible reading um, d- uh, discipline. If you have that, then I'm just trying to encourage you to remain in that. That's all I'm doing tonight. And maybe I'll add to you a little bit, for, but for those of you that do not, I pray that you would be the ones that would take the most notes because I believe that God wants us to get on the. Track so that we can have more of his word in us because of this discipline that we gain and we learn about more tonight. Now, I'm not going to teach you how to study the Bible in depth, I can't do that in 45 minutes. And so, we have a class called How to Study the Bible where we use the inductive Bible study method, and that goes like this we observe, we interpret, and we apply the Bible. That's at minimum six weeks, it probably should take us 12, but we have that online. We have an online version of that if you'd like it. Um, I would just encourage you to follow the whole whole thing through. You can email Pastor Jared for that. But let's start tonight by talking about what is the Bible? Just what is the Bible, this book that we have, that we center everything around as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ, because we know that what is called truth in the world that we're living in is, is something that not everybody agrees upon. And even in Christian circles, this is sad, but people even have differing views as to what the Bible actually is. Now, let me just say it this way. Orthodox Christians, people who hold to a historic Christian tradition as it pertains to how we see the Bible, those people believe that God's word has divine authority for our life and practice. And that is something that Christians have believed for 2,000 years as New Testament or New Covenant Christians and Jewish believers in Yahweh have believed far back as long as they have had the Torah or the Old Testament. But the trend today, even in Christian circles, is for whatever reason, especially in the Western world, to move away from believing that the Bible is authoritative, primarily because people do not believe in God, nor that he is the author of the book. And so we have the surge of atheism, uh, anti-theism. That is a surge that is upon us. Uh, I'm thankful that it seems to be dying in the Western world um, and we prophesy that. But anyway, anyways, that is something that has caused not just a skepticism, not just good questions. We're not against questions. Where did the Bible come from? What language was it written in? Who wrote it? Who did they write it to? What is the meaning of this or, or that? How can we discover more about its archeology? span All of that stuff is really important. Those are great questions. We should dig into those questions. We welcome questions, but there's a difference between asking a question and questioning something. Questioning starts with skepticism and asking a question really ha- involves humility. And so we obviously understand that there are two different approaches, but the Bible is this. This is our view, and I I want to unashamedly share with you and not assume um, our view of what the Bible is. So this is the statement that we hold doctrinally. We believe that the Bible, consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, is the infallible Word of God, verbally inspired by God and without error, in its original manuscripts. Now that's a loaded statement. What we're saying is that we believe that God has inspired human authors as they wrote over 40 of them over a period of 1600 years in three different languages. And that this book was passed down through translation and transmission and even though people tried to take it away, even though people tried to banish it, even though people tried to stomp it out, it still exists and holds through the test of time because God's hand was involved in its translation and its transmission on down to you and I today. It's amazing is really what it is. And even if you just looked at the Bible as a book of antiquity, it is by far, not by a small margin, but by far the greatest book of history and the greatest book of antiquity. And it's a shame that we don't teach from it or even have it displayed in our public school system because it simply is that true. Now, the word Bible literally means book in case you've ever wondered, what does the word Bible mean? It means book. That's why on your version, it says, mine says, holy Bible. It means holy book or the book that is separate, separated by God. It is a book from the Lord. The Bible is more than a book, I would call it a library of books, 66. And I've already told you 40 authors, 40 plus authors. And it has, it's been written over 15 to 1600 years. And what's fascinating about the Bible is not only the things that I've told you, but it contains a historical narrative, hundreds of fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled prophecies, ancient poetry, incredibly important first century letters, And it has this continuity that works throughout all of its writing that you just can't make up. We're talking about ancient times where people didn't have trains, planes, automobiles, and the ability to send emails, text messages, and other very quick forms of communication. And there is just simply no way that some of these things could happen the way that they did. And and I'm saying to you as sort of a a researcher i don't i wouldn't call myself more than that but the more that i study what it is where it comes from it becomes more and more profound in my life. And I challenge anybody to just simply do the research. And if you find yourself today in a place where you don't know where the Bible comes from or how it came to be, I encourage you strongly to pick up the book in our bookstore called How We Got the Bible. Please just read that. That's a small version of a larger book that I would highly encourage, which would be Joshua McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I would really ask you to read that, but I think it's about... Uh, 900 pages. So uh, knock yourself out with that one, Uh, but you're welcome for giving you the smaller version, which is still fairly scholarly uh, that we do sell in our bookstore. Now, the Bible was originally called the canon of scripture. Canon means rule or measuring stick. There have been councils formed throughout history to qualify which books were authoritative and deserved to be part of the canon known as what we have the Bible today. And this collection over a period of years that we call the Bible has been passed down and it's been delivered to us. The faith that has been passed down to us. This is what Jude says and what Paul says. The faith that has been passed down to us is found in the scriptures. The Old Testament has 1189 chapters and 39 books. Chapter divisions did not come around till the 1200s. So if you say James chapter 5, James chapter 5 did not exist until after the 1200s. It was just James. And we know it as five chapters, but that wasn't necessarily the case to all those saints of old. The New Testament is one quarter of the Bible, has 27 books, 260 chapters, 7,959 Verses. I know you wanted to know this information. And it's the most purchased book on the planet at 5 billion copies sold. If you're interested in researching that topic, please do. I would refer to Barna, Pew Research, and Lifeway. Those would be the three places you can go to get all kinds of statistics that are fun and probably something you can read before bed at night. But from all the studies that I can tell, particularly picking up from Lifeway and Pew Research, a little bit of Barna, um, one quarter of Protestant Christians read the Bible daily. That's a little bit higher than it used to be. It's a little bit higher than I thought it was. Uh, But another quarter, 25% of Protestant Christians read the Bible weekly. So about 50% of people that identify as Protestant Christians read the Bible at least weekly. Now, if you're not in that category, you can get in that category uh, tonight. We'll start with weekly and we'll move uh, to daily because that's really um, what we're after. Now, the statistics are overwhelmingly clear because not only do they ask people um, if they read the Bible, but they ask them about their life in connection to reading the Bible. And I found these statistics rather interesting. So they were asking people about their life and whether or not their life has changed as a result of reading the Bible. And it's over 50% of people that read the Bible weekly or daily said their lives have changed as a result of it. Isn't that an amazing statistic? That people who made the decision to read it weekly or daily actually profess and state for the record, it has changed my life. Now, sometimes when your life changes, you don't know how to articulate that to a person. You just know you're different. You know something has happened. And people say, well, how is your life different? You go, I don't really know. I just know that I'm staying focused on what I'm supposed to be about. I stay mindful of the Lord and of his presence. And how many of you know that when you do, there are things that you stay away from and there are things that you put your hand on when you're focusing on God and his presence? he is the righteous one. And when you're focused on the righteous one, you just tend to do righteous things. Don't you love that? Oh man, it's not rocking science. You know, you're with me in this. And so there are people that actually attest to the fact that this is true for their lives. And so I'm just trying to help you understand the Bible is the good book. It's the holy book. Uh, It's an amazing book. Pick it up, read it. Amen. The second thing I want to talk to you about tonight is the importance of reading and studying the Bible. Now we could tell you uh, to read it and to study it. But I want to just jump into this topic a little bit and lay it out um, as best I can. For as long as I've been a Christian, I've continued to hear the age-old complaint um, about, about the, the, the church, about Bible, um, even about preachers. I hear people say things like, you know, um, I don't get fed here anymore no conviction. I don't get fed here anymore. Or perhaps I don't relate to the sermons. They're over my head. So you've got one, uh, one group of people that would say, things are over my head. I don't get it. And another group of people that would say, I don't really get fed. I don't get anything out of this. Now I've got no stones to throw tonight, but if you step back and consider what the Bible actually teaches about the gathering of the church, what is actually supposed to happen when a person like me stands up, And preaches the Bible. What is the goal of that? Well, let me share with you what the Bible says about that. Ephesians chapter four and verse 11. Paul's explaining the functionality of the church. He's giving sort of a a view that he wants the church at Ephesus to understand that there is a, a purpose not only to the gathering, but the people of God. And he says this, "'And Jesus gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers.'" He's saying some of the people in the body of Christ have these gifts. Jesus was all of those things. Jesus was the prophet and apostle and pastor and teacher. Jesus was the fullness of all of that. But when Jesus ascended, he gave measures of his gift to people in his body. And then Paul tells us why Jesus did that. He says, "'For the equipping of the saints for the work of service,' To build up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, I'll just say we haven't attained the fullness of Christ yet, okay? That's not going to happen until the fullness of Christ comes. But what we're saying tonight is that a pastor's job is not to be a mediator between God and man. It's to equip the people of God for works of service. So how does a teacher, for example, equip the people for works of service? Well, one of the things that a teacher does is equip the people of God to study for themselves. That's one of the roles of a teacher so that people can self-feed and that they don't have to go to somebody else to get the information and the revelation. They learn how to go to the Holy Spirit. And when they do that and they study the word of God, the Holy Spirit gives revelation. Yes, we have to do our diligence and study the book. We have to study what we can understand, but we also need revelation. And so as we go to God and study his word, what happens is he teaches us. And that really is my first point of what, it get, of what we get out of reading and studying um, the Bible. Now, I was talking to Pastor Steve Shell, and uh, he was our former pastor. Many, if not most of you know who he is, of course. And I was asking Pastor Steve, I said, Pastor Steve, should I go and get a master's degree in theology? And he said to me, sorry, Steve, if you're watching, but he said to me, you already write books or you already read books and write papers. And I assumed he meant no, (laughs) because he said, you already do these things. And he said, but what you cannot pay for is a work ethic. You cannot pay for that. You cannot go to school and get a work ethic because you can get the degree and you can hang it on your wall and stop studying right after you got that degree and think that because you went to school, that that information produces transformation. Friend, it doesn't. There's a lot of people that have something that says they're smart But what isn't true is a daily living relationship with God through his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can have a lot of degrees, friends, you can. But the fact is, who's doing the work? Let me ask you a question. In the life that you live, is there a difference between a person who has a work ethic and somebody that doesn't? And you notice it when you work with them, don't you? They work hard, they work diligently, they work overtime. They're willing to do things other people are not willing to do. And that is, what it, that is what we're talking about when it comes to the Bible. We have to have a work ethic. We have to have a discipline. That is very important. And there's three things we're gonna get out of and we need to focus on, I think, when we come to study and read the Bible. And the first is God becomes our primary mentor. And this is vital. When you and I study the Bible every day, when, when we read it, when we, when we pray over it, when we journal it, when we observe it, He becomes our primary mentor. Isn't it reassuring to know that God is your greatest encourager? God is your greatest source. God is your greatest mentor. I'm not saying that we don't mentor each other. We do. Jesus told men, he told people, go make disciples. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not our only mentor. Don't misunderstand me. People that believe that are are in error because we disciple each other. We raise Uh, each other up in the Lord through the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus's model. But the the Holy Spirit must be our primary uh, mentor. I have several passages to that effect, but every athlete needs a coach. And our primary coach is uh, not the person that disciples us. It is God himself. And so our goal is to have the Holy Spirit be the one that breathes on his word. And let me say this to you, you've got to give him something to work with. You can't just say, when I get in a jam, I call on the lamb. You can't be that kind of person. You understand you're not gonna get much uh, in your life. You're not gonna develop as a Christian. You can't, let me just say to you like this. You can't, you cannot develop with a little bit, all right? You've gotta increase that and let that grow and stretch out. And that really is indicative of our spiritual life. We want it to grow. We want it to stretch out. We want to give him more. And that's why we set ourselves to become disciplined. This is very uh, vital. So the Holy Spirit guides us in the word. The scriptures tell us in the book of John that he guides us into all truth. Well, one of the primary ways he does that is through the word of God. And people that don't use the word of God as the primary source of revelation and truth Uh, find themselves in error uh, very quickly. So the Bible also does this though, as it is um, through the Holy Spirit, our primary mentor. Did you know that when you read the Bible that you have all kinds of mentors? I mean, you're reading about Ruth and Esther and David and all of these different people, their, their victories, their failures the things that they said, the things that they did, the way they encountered God, you and I get to peer in through the window of what God wanted us to have with people who walk with God. And as we do that, they too become our mentors, not just in their victories, but also in their failures. All of that is made available to us through the word of God. So God becomes our primary mentor. Number two is the Holy Spirit renews our mind. When we give him something to work with, he renews our mind, Romans 12.2. Paul says to the Roman church, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we're born again, we have a new nature, but we still also have an old nature. And we're in need of knowing who we are and who God is and what we're supposed to do. Well, how do you know that if you don't know the Bible? How do you really know God? How many times I've talked with somebody and they tell me things like, well, I just love my Jesus or Jesus just wouldn't do that you know, to anybody or God really wouldn't do that. Today, we have a lot of doctrinal error as it pertains to salvation and what happens to us after we die. And the primary reason is because we have more philosophy than we do theology. Now, I don't have time to unpack that, but a lot of times, like for example, when the Bible says God is love, And what happens is, is that we come up in our own minds with what love means. We define the word love. We don't let the Bible define the word love. We don't let God define the word love. If God is love, then love is defined by what God is, not our version or our cultural version of love. When it says is love, God is love. It does does not mean he has love. It does not mean he is loving. It means that it's his essence. It emanates from him. Just like God is light, it emanates from him. In him, there is no darkness. You understand? So he defines love. But what happens is people approach the Bible and they say, well, if God is love, then he wouldn't send anybody to hell. God would not send anybody to a place of eternal torment. Why would he do that if he's love? Well, what you just did was you jumped the Grand Canyon through philosophy, Now a person can do that. I'm not suggesting we never use philosophy as we study the Bible. I'm not saying everybody has philosophical thoughts. What I mean is, is that when you don't let the Bible define what it is that we're even saying, God is love, then you're going to, through a philosophical idea, come up with a doctrine based on a cultural philosophy that we've adopted without even knowing it. I hope you're following me. You follow me? And that's literally what happens all the time. I've had conversations with people and they say to me that God would never send someone to eternal torment because God is love. That's not loving. And people will even say something like this. I'm more loving than that and God's gotta be more loving than me. There again what we just did, right? We just, it's amazing. In Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet says about God, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. But what's amazing is, I mean, I think that's a word to our generation. Like I literally think that scripture should rock us. Like my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your, I don't think the way you think. I don't do things the way you do them. And so whenever we reduce God down to what we think he's like and what he, we think he should do because something doesn't make sense to us, we should actually dig deeper into the Bible to discover and understand more about what that means rather than use the philosophy of our day to determine what we think it ought to mean. This is where we put ourselves above the Bible rather than the Bible above us. There's a reason that God gave us a standard is because we all needed it. We all needed a a family vision. We all needed a family standard that everybody of every generation, of every culture, of every language, of every ethnicity needed a standard that all of us are accountable to and God gave it to us in the word. But we, every generation tries to change it. Every generation tries to manipulate it. Every generation tries to make it different than it was as though now, all of a sudden now, because we're not ancient people and we don't have ancient thoughts because we're smarter in our generation that we know better. And so our philosophy and version has got to be uh, better. And so no, friend, we we need our minds renewed by God. And that happens uh, through his his word, deeper study and more revelation through the Holy Spirit. And he's committed uh, to that. Daily Bible reading will give us a proper diagnosis and a prognosis in a daily way and and even more so. We need a diagnosis of our life personally, of our culture corporately, and we need a prognosis. What are we supposed to do? We went through a two-year pandemic. One of the most shocking revelations that I had is a lot of folks, especially in the first year, did not ask, what does God say through the word? That's a revelation, isn't it? If we're going to talk about how we respond in a pandemic, how we respond to whomever it is that we're talking about, you have to look at the word. And is there explicit references in the scriptures to that which we are facing? And if so, are we properly aligning with God's word or not? See, that's what it means to have the Bible and God's word over our life. It means that we are coming under its authority. We're not trying to make it say what we want. Have you ever tried to make anything say what you wanted it to? Of course you have. Come on, don't don't be stubborn. I I admit it. There are times where I want things to happen my way. Okay? Okay. My wife's here. Don't say amen. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I'm looking at my wife. She's not saying amen. Um, And so, what we do is we try to construe the circumstances or the language uh, in a certain way that ends up in our favor, right? And that's really what people can do with the Bible. You can do that with the Bible. You you can. We've done it forever, and that's why it requires a greater work ethic and more discipline to dig into it and say, okay. We have humility, I'm gonna approach it like maybe I don't understand some things. I think one of the greatest enemies is to pretend like we know everything that we need to know. That that is really harmful. Pride, spiritual pride, self-righteousness, that literally stops us from having fresh revelation in the word of God. Uh, When we, Bridget and I were uh, married and younger than we are now, our older boys were probably about 10 and, and 12, and I remember one of my sons who will not watch this teaching. I prophesied that. And he said to me one time, after we read through the Bible, we did, we did the Bible in a year, and we were just starting the Bible again. That's what I'm encouraging all of us to do, to read the Bible through in a year. And so we were starting the Bible for a second time. And one of my unnamed sons says to me, hey, dad, I've already read it. <laughs> And I said, that's great. Let's read it again. Because in his mind, he was reading it like a book and he didn't want to read it anymore. I've already read it. Why are we doing this again? And so then I would start to ask him questions about things that I knew, even though he read it, he did not understand. And so I asked him about two questions. Then I said, yep, open the book back up to Genesis. All right, let's see. Because he couldn't recall what he had read. Why? Because this is a book that is inexhaustible. It is not just a book. It is, these are words of life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life-giving. They're life. And so, um, yeah, I definitely commanded him to start reading again. But as we read the Bible, we understand that there is a transaction and that's, I don't have a better word for it, but there is something happening as we set ourselves to this discipline. Look what the psalmist said in Psalm 119.11. He said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, the action that I'm putting forward, the study that I'm giving to it, the reading, the memorization, the desire of putting myself before God's holy word, what it is doing is storing up in my spirit that which I need for a day that is coming. Did you know that you are, your spirit is a reservoir and you don't know when you're going to need what you're reading? Often in my day, I'll be reading something in the morning and I'll meet with somebody in the afternoon. And literally what I was reading, what I was reading is coming out of me. I'm not going, Oh God, speak to me. Give me a word. Although I do pray, but it just starts to flow out of me because it was deposited in me. That there are just first nature responses that come out of my life because I spent time in God's word in the morning. And that's what I encourage people to do. In fact, as I minister, I can tell you all the time, this is, this is what happens to me often. I, I, a microphone will be in my face and all of a sudden I have something that's fresh from the Lord. Why? Because I'm studying the Bible. If you don't, you don't have anything fresh. You're just gonna pull back to something that might not be for right now. God wants to give us fresh revelation. Now he's renewing our mind. Now, number three, as we set ourselves to study and read God's word, here's what happens. We give away what we have. And wasn't I already just saying that to you? That's pretty much what I was talking about. And this principle um, applies in so many ways because we speak out of what we know. We act based on our own convictions. Um, I wrote a a post on Facebook. Um, I don't do that all the time. I have two different versions of it. So I do on one and not on the other, but I I wanted to write something, and um, I don't know. I, I felt compelled to do it. I don't always feel that way, and I don't always, and trust me. I don't think you should do it all the time. Please hear me. <laughs> but I felt I felt like I, I stayed up late, and I felt like I was supposed to do this. So I, I wrote something out, and then I just threw it in there, and I posted it. You know, it was something that was on my heart. And um, and what, what where was I going with that? Uh, anyways, I had something. The reason that I said that was because somebody said, thank you for the courage to speak up about this. And I I remember hearing them say that. I said, thank you for the courage. And, And here's honestly how I felt. That didn't take any courage. That took zero courage from me, like none. That took, like I, it was, in fact, I was shocked to even hear it. What it took was conviction. There's a difference. There's a lot of people that are brash. There's a lot of people that throw out their thoughts. You know, Sometimes that's just getting something off your chest. That, that is not courage. Uh, somebody can say that and, and it, I don't look at it as courageous. Now, perhaps it was for somebody else, but not for me. For me, it was conviction. I wasn't writing that because I wanted to get something off my chest. I was writing that because I was, I was under a conviction. And and the only way I can explain that is just to say that that happens to me at times because I'm reading the Bible. And as I read the Bible, I have these convictions that sort of rise up inside of me and I gotta do something with them. And what I have found in my life is they become fruitful. That's what they do. They become fruitful. And what am I saying this for? Because we give away what we have. And you'll notice in the research at Lifeway or Barna uh, that those who read the Bible feel closer to God. That's one of the sentiments of of their uh, of the polling is that they feel closer to God when they read the Bible. Has that been the case uh, for you? It's, it's been the case uh, for me. And I know there are things in the Bible that we don't understand all the time. And and I certainly uh, don't shy away from that. But I would tell you that I, I desire the word of God and I see so many people that do. And as they study it, read it and apply it, God begins to move in, in their life in, in very, fruitful and powerful ways. Now I want to walk through a little bit of the process of reading and studying the Bible. We're really talking more about reading and observing is, um, is what I'm going to share with you. And I'm going to bring this out here in just a minute. I'll bring out Mr. Whiteboard. Um, let me say something to you up front, because whenever you teach people uh, a pathway, a methodology, whenever you do that, you, you run the risk of it feeling like rigid, rigid, um, like that's not the only way to do that. You're right, that's not what I'm saying. When we were, when our, our kids were in sports, they're, they're not so much now, they're in martial arts and singing and stuff anyhow. But when they were in baseball, our, one of our sons was in baseball, I would go help the coaches. And one of the things you do when, when small children are in baseball is you don't really expect them to play good ball. (laughs) This is like the first thing right up front, you know? Uh, Like if you come to see them uh, become all-stars, like good luck, that's not gonna happen. What you're trying to do when you teach them to play the game of baseball, is you put them in the batter's box forcibly you actually, what some coaches will do, well, they will pick up their leg and they'll move it where it needs to be. Have you ever seen this or done it before? You just like, you don't even waste time going, put it there, put it there, put it there. Cause you'll say it 10 times, they just won't do it. So you forcibly put their leg somewhere and, you, and, and, then, and then when their bat's up, you know, parents will yell, put it up, put it up. But the coach will walk up and pull it up. You understand, like this. Has anybody seen someone do this? Okay, it's rigid. We're forcibly putting you into a position that feels very odd. It feels very awkward. It does not feel organic or natural. And the kids do not like it. But if you just speak to them, if you just say things to them, they don't understand what you mean. So you have to show them, you have to put them into that position. And when you do that, they eventually, because of that they learn how to do it organically. What starts rigid ends up organic. You following me on this? And so whenever you learn a methodology of something, it feels rigid. Don't think legalistic, just think it feels rigid until it becomes first nature and it becomes normal to us. And so I'm just saying that might be the way that this is, but I'm gonna give you my method. So here we go. The first part of this is I wanna talk to you simply about reading the Bible, okay? So when it comes to reading the Bible, there are two things that you need to do right away. And I'm emphatically, definitively saying this. You need to commit to a daily routine. You need to put it in your schedule. You need to make a daily appointment with God. That is the most important appointment that you and I have. We've got to make an appointment with God. We have an iPhone. We've got an Android. We can schedule stuff. Everybody's proved it. I encourage you highly in that. I know you're busy, but we can still find a way to do that. Number two, you need a Bible reading plan. All right. If you do not have a Bible reading plan, guess what? Our church has one for you. We have it in digital form. We have Thousands of these pieces of paper that tell you exactly what to read every single day. I use this plan. Many of us, hundreds of us probably use this plan around here. I don't care what plan that you use. That's not important. We put this together because we feel like we need to put something in front of people so that we have... Uh, a way to disciple. And I would encourage you to, to not do the random method. Okay. Not do, what am I reading today? Blah, 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 blah. Bam. Okay. Oh, 1 Kings 16. Scary. Awesome. Okay. We're going to go to Revelation. You know, harlot, dragon, lots of crazy things, bulls being tipped out. Wow. I, I don't recommend that style of, of Bible reading. Why? Um, because you're not going to know what you're doing. And one of the things that we do in our culture and generation is we, ha- we have a lot of devotionals. Now, I'm not anti-devotional. I'm just anti a lot of devotionals. And the reason that I am is because what we do is we pluck scriptures out of their context without even consulting what is being talked about. And then we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we have no idea why Paul said that to the Philippians we just extrapolate principles, however we feel like it. Um, Again, when we get in a jam, we call on the lamb and we employ these verses as like taglines. And then we say, I don't want any Christian to, in my pain, give me some cliche. A lot of those cliches come from a Bible verse that's out of context. And a lot of times what we don't realize is in the Bible. They're talking to a people and not a person. You know, 75% of the time Paul addressed anybody in his letters, 13 letters, he's talking to a people and not a person. But we have a radical individualism, and that's what we do. We take that verse and we just, I'm just gonna apply it to myself. Friend, you can't do that just like that. You've gotta pay attention to the context. And that's why reading the Bible all the way through is so powerful because it familiarizes us with the entire story that God wanted us to have. Now, don't get to Leviticus and stop reading. Keep reading. You gotta get to Ecclesiastes. You gotta get to the prophets. There's some scary stuff in there, but you gotta understand it, and you can't unless you read it all the way through. I'm telling you, it's entertaining. Somebody said to me, a young person said, man, the Bible's boring. I said, no, sir, you're boring, and that's why you would say that. We can edit that. (laughs) It was a kid. Why'd you say that to me? (laughs) Because it's true. Number two. So we're talking about reading. Okay. We're making that commitment. Number two, reflecting on the Bible. We have to learn how to reflect. These are my words. Um, You could use the word observe. So once we commit to reading the Bible, we have a plan. We've got to take the next step and reflecting on the Bible is the first step to develop the skill of observation. All right, it's the skill of observation. And I I strongly advocate to you journaling. I strongly advocate to you journaling. Now, again, you don't have to do this. You can still go to heaven and not do what I'm talking about. But I wanna tell you, if you wanna learn how to be observant and reflect and ponder and go deeper The way that I've done that personally is journal. I journal every single day. I don't just journal my thoughts. Like today, I was thinking of flowers and a basket of fruit. No, I'm talking about (laughs) reading the Bible. And and here's what I do. I want to explain this to you. What I do in my journal is I write the date and then I write down the passages right here, whatever the passages are for that day. I write the date and the passages. And then I read through those passages and whatever sticks out to me, I read them all whatever sticks out to me, it takes 11 minutes to do. I actually write that scripture out. I write the whole passage. If it's five verses, it's five verses. I just write it out. And then I start to underline and circle words. And for me, when I reflect on the Bible, what I'm doing is I'm looking for things that don't make sense. I'm looking for things that confuse me. Maybe it's culturally because I wouldn't think that, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't feel that. But all of a sudden in the text that pops out to me, it sort of jumps off the page. I underline words that I'm like, I need to look that up. You ever read a a verse and you don't know what the word means? Well, the way I find out something is not bypass it. I underline it and then I look at it. That's what I do. And so I like to be observant. Now, I had to learn this skill. I was not always an observant person, but I have become that uh, and I wanna grow more. But here's the reality. Let's say on Sunday, you come to church and uh, you sit in a new place that you've never sat in before. Imagine that. And, uh, and so if you're, if you're a balcony sitter, you come down and you sit on the third row, okay? And it's a scary thing, I understand, for all of us when we change around a little bit, uh, but let's just say we do it, okay? And so you, um, you meet somebody, okay? And uh, let's say his name is, <clears throat> or her name was, <clears throat> okay? <laughs> you remember that? No. You meet someone, and you shake their hand, you say, hi, what's your name? Yeah, they say it, you say yours, it's, you know, the music is going, doosh, doosh, oosh, oosh. We got a little music, a little flavor is happening in the house during our f- intentional fellowship time before the message. And, and so you, you capture all of those details and you lock it away in the cache of your mind. And then the next day you're talking to me and, uh, and I said, hey, did you meet anybody new at church? And you go, you know what I did? I was sitting on the third row, normally sitting in the balcony, sitting on the third row. I go, that's great. Who'd you meet? And you go, oh, you know, that's a, that, you know, uh, that guy, that guy, you know, that guy. No, I know, I don't know that guy. Do you know that guy? <laughs> well, you know, uh, what did he look like? Well, uh, he was white. I don't know. Uh, I think. I'm not sure, actually. Um, he had glasses, did he? Did he have glasses? Were those glasses? Um, I think it was balding. Uh, no, he had hair. He did. Yep. So all of a sudden you you come face to face with the reality that you are not very observant. People say to me all the time, like, man, you can remember names. <laughs> I work hard at this people. Okay, there's a lot of us. And so, uh, and I still feel like I forget names all the time. My point is, is that how many of you have recognized that you're not always that observant? Here's my point. It's a skill it is a skill. It's a skill of learning how to pay attention. It's a skill of intentionality. And that same skill is translated not only from life, but also into our Bible reading. So that when we open up the Bible, chances are we blow past a ton of what is going on in what we're reading. Have you had that happen? (laughs) And so what happens is, is God wants to show us stuff, but we don't dwell there long enough to observe anything. We don't write it down. We don't take another step, we just read it. What I'm encouraging you to do is take another step beyond mere reading and God will start to unfold things. Once you start reading the Bible and you've read it all the way through like four or five times, you'll start picking up on things that you never saw before. I mean, I love it. Every week, somebody walks up to me and says something about my sermon. and They go, I never saw that before, but I've read that many, many, many times. And they go, you know, here's how I saw it. I spent 15 hours with it that week. That's it. That's the difference between me and you. <laughs> I spent 15 hours with it. And there are a lot, of, a lot of us that know the Bible really well, but if you don't spend time in the word, now don't spend 15 hours in it, you, you know, 20 minutes would be nice. And so if we carve that time out, we're gonna find that we are become more observant of the word of God. Now, number three, and finally, we move from reflection to meditation. Now that can be a, a Eastern word. It can be a new age word. I don't mean it that way. Um, we're talking about pondering, thinking deeply or thinking about and considering deeply. I, I call it you know, thinking on the go. You're thinking on the go. What is it that you take with you into your day? So you say to me, Pastor Ben, what was your Bible reading today? I, I already know. I, was, I, I studied because I was, I'm doing a, a full study on 1 Peter. So I was diving deep into 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. And I can repeat some of the things that I was learning today. Um, and I was, I was kind of mid-study, and I had to leave that, that place that, that I was studying, and, I, and I, had to share, I was sharing it on a podcast. But I can recall some of the stuff that I, that I studied, and he's talking about longing for the pure milk of the word. Um, that word pure means unadulterated, all right? This isn't my notes. I mean, I can remember what I studied. He says, long for the pure milk of the word, like a baby does, like a newborn baby. Long for it. That word pure means unadulterated. And it comes from what I was studying. It comes from during their culture, people would go to the merchants in the marketplace and they would buy milk, but it would get watered down. And so they were always looking for pure milk, milk that wasn't watered down so they could actually buy the real thing. And so when Peter says you need to long for the pure milk of the word, there would have been a picture in their mind and they would have thought, wow, I'm looking for the full concentrate. I, I need to long for that which has not been diluted, that which is full and strong, the, 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 the word and what it really means. So that's what I was studying uh, this morning. You're welcome. There you go. Okay. Now, what did you study? No, we, we don't have time for that. All right. But the point was, is that was my meditation on the go. I was considering, I was thinking about it. When I left my time of study, I was considering it deeply. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like, like just like in their culture, they were watering down the word, so, are, so do we. You see, you see, every generation waters down the word. And Peter warned about that. Peter said, you need to want all of it, if it cuts, if it encourages, if it corrects, whatever the word does, long for the full concentration because that's where the power is. That's where the power is. If you want less, you're gonna get less. Uh, less power is attached to a lesser word. You, redu- you reduce the word, you reduce the power that's attached to it. That's why the word doesn't work if we don't actually long for it in its purest form. You see, that, that's, that's what he's talking about. So thinking deeply, The scriptures tell us to meditate on the word day and night. Psalm 1.1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers. Look at this, his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, he meditates day and night. Uh, The writer of the Psalm gives us a picture. I want you to meditate on the word day and night. I don't want you to watch television in the morning and at night. Amen, you got, listen, we got to make room, guys. Look at your screen time, do what you got to do. And we got to deny some things in order to fill our lives up with what's better, okay? And that's really all that, all that it is. We can have more of God, but we've got to prioritize more of God in our life. That's the facts, okay? You're not gonna get away from the work ethic, the discipline part. Desire is wonderful, but if you do not couple desire with discipline, you go nowhere. I know a lot of people that have a lot of desire. I just love the Lord. I just love the Bible. I just, I love it. I love the book. I hug it. I, I love the Bible. But do you, do you, put desire with discipline. Unless you put discipline with desire, you don't go anywhere. You can't. You can't. So amen. Now, Mr. Whiteboard, here we go. You ready? What did I tell you? What's the first thing we want to do? We want to read the Bible, right? This thing goes sideways. That's that's terrible. We want to read the Bible. What's the second thing we want to do? Oh my gosh. Reflect. Okay. Reflect. That also another word for that would be what? Observe. That's right. Okay. So we want to reflect, and we want to observe. And what's the third thing we want to do? Meditate. Well, meditate. This is literally what I do. So you can, you can adopt this or not. But it's up to you. I would encourage you uh, in this simple uh, pathway. Now, here's what I would like to do. On your piece of paper, you have two passages. Okay. Have you noticed that on the back, on the end of it? This is where we're actually going to do this together. Now, I'm going to give you a few minutes. That's all you're going to get. But if you, if you don't have a pen, that's fine. You can, just, you can just reflect. But if you have a pen, take out a pen. And on your piece of paper, what I would like you to do is silence your phones. And that would be an important thing when you study the Bible. Amen. Just, this just in. This is fresh from our sponsor. Um, I want you to take a few, just a few minutes. I don't want to di- we could dive really deep in the discipleship track that Jared's talking about. That's what we do. We take a whole hour and we, we practice this. This is what we do together so that we can all grow in, in reading and reflecting on the word of God. Here's the one I want you to take. Luke chapter 18 and verse one through eight. Everybody say Luke. 18. That's the one, you see it on there? Okay, take a few minutes and I want you to make a few reflections, just a few. All right, this is not a test. I'm not gonna come around and see what everybody did. But you, I, I wanna I want come back in just a second and, uh, and then we'll reflect on it. All right, because we don't have a lot of time, this is where the whiteboard comes in handy, all right? What I would like to do is ask just a couple simple questions. Now, <clears throat> we can go the route of what stuck out to you. I, I could frame this up in a lot of different ways. But what I'd like to do is just initially See what stuck out to you, or what questions did you have? Things that just sort of came to you. Well, anybody on that want to share? Persistence okay, so persistence. Okay, all right. So persistence. All right. Any anybody else? Just as, cl- as concise. If you, if you start doing paragraphs, that's I, obviously I don't I can't do that. To have, faith in God. have to have faith. To have faith in God. Okay, faith in God. Okay. Say it louder. So, okay. So we want it. So this is the, the, maybe the point. Pray not lose heart. Okay. So here, here, this is, this is what happens to me. I'm just going to ask a question. When I, this is what, how I think. I just want to, not that you want my thoughts, but all right. When I, when I read a word like not lose heart, I don't speak like that. So tell me what that means to you. What does it mean to like to lose heart? What do we mean by that? Okay, let's start. Amen. Let's start using some words we use. Okay, so we don't want to give up. Okay, that makes a lot more sense to people like me. All right. Amen. Don't give up. <laughs> you don't have to be a sharp knife. You just need to be a knife. <clears throat> All right, so that's how I feel. I'm just talking about me. Uh, anything else what comes to you from this passage? She was intentional. What was that? She was intentional. She was intentional, okay? I'm just going to put the word intentional. She definitely was that. Okay, one one more. You just did it, see, you did say, that's, okay, can you say, give me, give me a couple, give me a short, shorter thing. Just quick. God's different than ours. Okay, God's timing. Let's, I'm just going to put God's timing because I agree with you. I'm just, God's timing. That's a factor in all this. What'd you say? Passing through. Passing through. Okay, well, I'm just going to throw it up there. Good, good job, young man. Passing through, passing through, we're passing through earth, aren't we? Yeah, passing, amen. About to sing a hymn on you right there. What's that? Okay, that's a double, you're double dipping right there. I needed somebody, I got you. Who else? Who else didn't share? Okay, I'm going to hear that, but I'm not going to write it, but I'm with you. Okay, squeaky wheel, I don't know what that means, all right? Huh? Tension, okay. Okay. Tension. So there's tension in the situation. Jesus wanted you to feel that, didn't he? He wants you to feel something here. Accessibility to, authority. Accessibility to authority. Somehow she got in there, didn't she? Accessibility. I'm going to do one more. You guys are flying now. This is great. Accessibility to authority. This woman, she did not care that she didn't have a ticket. Don't give up. Don't give up? Okay. We got that one right there. Justice. Okay, I need to come back to you, ma'am. What did you say? Would it be bad to be skeptical? Like it says here, skeptical. It says, like, you don't lose hope, right? Don't lose hope. Yeah. Okay. Skeptical. Okay. We might keep thinking through that a little bit, but yes, I I follow your thinking. See what you're doing is you're starting to go underneath. And I like that. That's okay. Here, I'm going to stop because this is great. This is all great. Now listen to this. The point, this is how I think through this. When I look at this passage and we got, give me, give me two more minutes. All right. When I look at this passage, he starts by saying this, look at this. He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. There are two things being said there. At all times you need to pray and not lose heart. There's a implication there that if you don't pray, you will lose heart. There's an implication there that, that, that underemphasizes and girds the issue of prayer. That that Jesus wanted to show them not only to pray, but what kind of prayer to employ. Okay? Now, the antithesis would be, you're going to lose heart if you're not going to latch hold of, of God. Now, the other thing that I love about this story, okay, now I know a lot about the passage because I preach it many times. So I won't try to get into like Bible dictionary stuff and all that. But let me just point out some things that are obvious from the text. When, when a parable is told, it's a story, right? Jesus told them a story to show them something. That means he wanted them to feel a certain way. The thing that I feel when I read this story is this woman is in an impossible situation. That's exactly what I think. Like Jesus wanted you to know she's a woman, which she didn't have standing in court. She's a widow, means she doesn't have a husband. And apparently she has no kids to stand for her in court. And she comes up against an unjust judge who doesn't fear God. I mean, it's not just an unjust judge, but doesn't fear God at all. It's like he wanted us to get, this is a situation that she cannot win. And he shows this extreme picture to say that she kept coming and coming and coming and coming. And everybody listening to that story in that context would have scoffed the minute he brought up judges, they would have been like, oh, they're so unjust. They would have all felt a certain way. They all would have felt like, what in the world? And Jesus would have said, that's my point exactly. My point is that if you're persistent and you keep coming, look what he says at the end. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said, Now, will God not bring about justice for his elect, his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. He's trying to show them something. I want you to pray. I want you to be persistent. I want you to take this as a picture and a description of what that looks like. Because if this isn't your commitment, you will lose heart. Now, if you're like me and you're thinking through this about prayer, I automatically think I need an upgrade in my prayer life. And if you don't get to that conclusion, you're just reading and you're not, you're not implying the application. The application is Jesus told them a story to show them something that was essential for their own life. Friends, how many times have we given up and seen people give up and we don't connect the dots? It's just not a complicated cosmic puzzle. He's trying to help us understand something. And that is all of this stuff matters. God's timing, uh, there's a tension there. She she gets... Uh, to this place of accessing a th- uh, ex- uh, being accessible to authority. And she forces her way in. She's intentional. It's all about faith in God. The whole point is about persistence, but you're supposed to feel the passage. I love that Jesus taught this story. And the more you dwell on it, the more you meditate on it, the more you're like, I need to be a person of prayer. And if you don't conclude that and show up at our pre-service prayer meetings from now on, <laughs> I have no idea if you've learned anything at all. Just, uh, <laughs> but you could come to our prayer meetings if you want to. Tomorrow night, I'll conclude by this. Is that helpful at all? Now, so we could keep going through all these and they go deeper and deeper and deeper. And this is just an inch deep. But the reality is, is that you don't need me and us to do this. You could just do this every day and you could write stuff down. And then all of a sudden you become a life-giving source. Isn't that what you, I just wanna be a life-giving source to people. And I really don't think that what's in my back pocket is enough to give away. I think God wants to give me something so that I have something to give away to people. And I believe that if we do this, what, how long did that take us by the way? 10 minutes? That's awesome. That's just fantastic as far as I'm concerned. What happens if you give 20, 30? Can I get a 30? Can I see a 35? I see a 40 in the back here. I think I'm getting a 40. Okay. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.